got to turn on your mic before uh, you can speak here. So uh, it's great to see all of you here today. I'm so glad that you're here if this is your first time with us. My name's Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life. And I just want to welcome you especially. And, and those of you who are regular tenders, welcome back. To those of you watching online, we're so glad you're part of our church family this morning. Thanks for engaging us and joining us there. Uh, we're just so excited to be in this series. In fact, we're in week four of this series called Changes That Heal. And uh, throughout this series, we've been focusing on a key principle. And that key principle is this, that growing up as Jesus followers heals us spiritually and emotionally. And we've said it this way, that healthy people grow, growing people change, and changed people change eternity for others. Healthy people grow, growing people change, and changed people change eternity for others. And, and what we've learned is that growth takes work. I mean, if you've gone through the first three weeks of this series and you've tried to do any one of the steps in the, or practice any one of the principles that we've uh, shared, you've found out that it's actually hard. Like growth is, is work. Growth takes work and significant growth takes significant work. But our goal is clear. We want to mature and become healthy followers of Jesus now, the key to health is actually taking next steps. And really, to be honest with you, that's what this series is all about. We designed this series to help us discover and to uh, help us take next steps in health so that we can have a solid relationship with God, which then will overflow into our relationship with others. You know, we want our lives to impact others. In fact, I say it this way, that we want our walk to be a witness to God's work in our lives. We want our walk to be a witness to God's work in our lives. That's really, really, really what we want uh, for all of us as followers of Jesus as we grow up in Him. And the one thing that we know is that everything significant in life revolves around relationships. And as we've discovered through this series, we will not grow if we are not intentional about taking next steps. And, and the thing is, we need relationships, but not just any old relationship will do. We need good, uh, godly, life-giving relationships uh, in our lives. And when we don't have that, we, we kind of stay sick. We get sick, we stay sick, and, and it's, it's hard to come out of that. So it, sometimes it takes significant work to move towards health. But the thing is, we have to be intentional. If we want to grow and if we want to experience the health and the fullness that God has for us, we must take intentional steps. It's time to grow and experience the life that God gives to those who will receive it. So in week one of this series, we talked about forgiveness and how it destroys the devil's work and draws us close to God. The second week, we learned that God is a relational being and he created a relational universe. Therefore, at the foundation of every uh, living creature is this idea of relationship. We learned that God wants to be in relationship with us, and he expects us to be in relationship with him and each other. That's what we learned about in week two. Last week, we learned that we must be willing to separate from every other relationship for the sake of knowing Jesus. In fact, Pastor Chris did an excellent job about talking about boundaries. We need healthy boundaries in life if we're going to experience healthy relationships. And today we're going to focus on a next key step that we must take if we're going to grow up as Jesus followers, and that's this, that we must learn to reconcile the good and bad in us and others and learn to live in grace 
and truth. Now, when I was a teenager, I attended a very passionate church. And when I say passionate, what I mean in particular is that the worship was powerful, the prayer was effective, and honestly, the, the, the community or the relationships that we had were transformative. Uh, this church was just, just awesome. In fact, I attended the youth group at the church as well, and that, yeah, that youth group, to use like an old 90s term, it was on fire for Jesus. You know, it wasn't literally on fire. Um, it was just like they were extremely passionate. We were extremely passionate about Jesus. So by all accounts, if you were to look at us from the outside in, you would see that we were, we were going after Jesus with everything that we had. We loved him. The Holy Spirit was working miracles. I mean, it was an incredible experience. In fact, that youth group was the largest youth group in the area. I grew up up near Oil City, Franklin area uh, in, in early in my life, and uh, and that's where the church was. And, and I mean, it, this youth group was just unheard of in the region. I mean, it was crazy what God was doing because he showed up. It seemed like every time we worshiped God together, he just moved in incredible ways. And we received powerful teaching from our youth pastor. In fact, it seemed that God changed people's lives every time we opened the Bible. The youth group was honestly awesome in, in the true sense of the word. Now, our youth pastor, he was a passionate man who loved Jesus with all of his heart. In fact, to this day, he remains one of the best Bible teachers that I have ever known. His passion for Jesus and and his ability to kind of rally students around him allowed him to grow this large youth ministry and have incredible influence. In fact, uh, he had such an incredible influence that he had many opportunities to speak And uh, I'm a musician, as many of you know. You saw me up here playing an instrument. Um, I originally started on piano, and I hated it. Uh, Amen? Um, Okay. I hated it. Then I got a drum set, and I was in. Like, I was sold on being a musician. So I started on drums, um, and then I started on piano. Then I moved to drums. Then I got a bass, and then I got a guitar. And then I went back to piano, and now I love it. Okay? So it can be redeemed. God redeems all things, guys. Okay? So... So uh, I'm a musician, and, and actually in this group, there were oddly a, a large amount of students who were also musicians, and so we played together in the youth band, and we were really good, if I do say so myself. Uh, no label thought we were good or publishing company, but we thought we were awesome. So um, we would go, and oftentimes we would travel with our youth pastor, and, and he would go have speaking engagements at a lot of places, and we would go with him, we would travel with him, and we would open up in worship, and he would preach, and then there would be a time of ministry, which is a time of prayer and healing for people, and the Holy Spirit seemed to move uh, incredibly during those parts. But being a part of this youth group and sitting under the youth pastor's teaching was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. God changed me. He molded me in significant ways during that time. But after I'd been a part of the group for a while, uh, we noticed that our youth pastor uh, came into church one time with his head completely shaved. And I, I said to him, I said, did you lose a bet? Because it's the only ball joke I knew at the time. Um, I know much better ones now. But uh, so anyway, so he looked and he kind of smirked and nodded at me. And then he said something really strange, just to be honest with you, Um, just kind of out of the blue. He said, I'm preparing for the end times. And my friends and I thought, okay, um, that's weird. I don't know. You have to be aerodynamic to, you know, whatever. Anyway, so, so, so we thought it was strange, but we gave him the benefit of the doubt. But not long after that strange encounter, Uh, My friends and I came to youth group and found our youth pastor missing. In fact, in his place was the senior pastor who gathered us together and told us that our youth pastor was gone. 
He had run off with a girl in the youth group, leaving his family and his incredible ministry behind. Now, to say my friends and I were, were uh, devastated is honestly an understatement. We were ruined emotionally. I mean, it was, it was beyond devastating because we had this incredible connection with this man who was a powerful preacher and teacher of God's Word, and, and yet he made a decision that just was, seemed so wrong. So you see, for me, this was my first experience with seeing somebody I thought was so incredibly good do something so incredibly bad. And to be honest with you, it hurt at one point or another, we all experience or, experience or are experiencing what I experienced. How could someone who seemed so good act so badly? And now between that time and this time, there's about 20 years of life experience in my life. And I'll be honest with you, it actually doesn't seem that hard to believe now. In fact, the Bible records many accounts of people who seem to be good that do bad things. And the Bible actually shows us two very, what we would consider probably diametrically opposed views of human beings. And I want to start first in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the very first book in the Bible, where God says that human beings are uh, good. He declared us good. Look at this from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So the first understanding that we receive from the Bible about human beings is the Bible presents us as, as good. In fact, God himself declared us good. But later in the Scriptures, however, we see this opposing view mentioned by the Apostle Paul, who's actually quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, kind of pushed together. He's quoting these two Psalms in, in his letter to the Roman church, and here's what he said. As the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. And no one does, everybody say the next word, no one does good. Not a single one. So at first humans are good and now humans are bad? Which is it? I mean, this is the Bible. This is the Word of God. I mean, which, which one is it? The answer is both. Both. Henry Cloud in his book, Changes That Heal, makes this statement. And I just want you to listen to this because this is an incredibly important statement as we learn to reconcile good and bad in us and others. Here's what he said. The Bible teaches two themes throughout. The first is that we are created in the image of God and that we have incredible value. The second is that we are sinful and broken. There's the ideal and then there's the real. Both are true and both need to be reconciled into a grace-giving relationship with God and others. You know, perhaps the question isn't how do good people do bad things or why do good people do bad things, but rather, honestly, if we were to look around, I think the better question is how do bad people do good things? I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense sometimes, and it's hard to understand. So we have to understand it in this context. Only when we engage God in a grace-giving relationship will we engage others and do things of any eternal significance. 
In fact, it's the only way we can reconcile the good and bad in us and others effectively. And it's our take-home point for today because it's so important that we understand this. This is the one thing that I hope you'll walk out of here with today. Here's what it says. We reconcile the good and bad in us and others only by engaging a grace-giving relationship with God. We reconcile the good and bad in us and others only by engaging a grace-giving relationship with God. You see, love is the foundation for our relationship with God. And we can only experience God's grace by first experiencing His love. In fact, Jesus said that God's motivation for sending Jesus to the earth was His love for the world. And when we experience God's perfect love, it works out the issues of good and bad in us and in others because it releases His grace into our lives. In an account recorded in Luke chapter 7, Jesus actually demonstrates to us how God's grace gets released in our relationship with Him. And we're going to look at that today. Uh, If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take it out and read along with me. If you don't have a Bible and you have a phone, uh, you can download the Bible app or a Logos app, whatever you'd like to use to read the Bible. Uh, Otherwise, it'll be on the screen for you. But we're going to read this together beginning in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Here's what it says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this, were, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Okay, don't miss that. Jesus answered his thoughts. Remember what the Pharisees are thinking. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. Then he answers Simon's thoughts. That's the Pharisee here. So he's showing and demonstrating that he is a prophet by answering the thoughts of Simon. He, Jesus answered his thoughts saying, Simon... I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So you see, in this account, Jesus compares two types of people. He tells a story about these two guys, apparently, that, that received $500 loan from somebody, or 500-piece silver uh, loan from somebody and a 50-piece silver loan uh, from the same man. And uh, just so you know, 500 pieces of silver in Jesus' day was about 20 months' worth of wages. Okay, that's a lot of money. 
and 50 pieces of silver was about two months' worth of wages. So, so these were significant debts for the, the people who had incurred them. They, they, they carried the weight, so to speak. And so Jesus said, listen, the man forgave those debts, and, and which one do you think loved that man better? And Simon answered correctly, saying the man who had the larger debt. And Jesus then points to the woman, and he says, look at this woman who is here. Now, most likely the woman heard Jesus preach and, and understood finally for the very first time that God loved her, that God wanted her to be a part of his family and that she needed to repent and seek out Jesus and, and go, you know, chase after him and pursue him because he was worth it. And so when she heard that Jesus, now her Savior, which she didn't know at the time because Jesus hadn't died yet, but, but Jesus was preaching this good news of the kingdom. He had this different news that she had never heard before. When she, when she understood the importance of that, she went to this house. She didn't care that she was a more. I mean, listen, just so you know, the Pharisees, when she, they saw this woman, they considered her the scum of the earth. She was most likely a prostitute, just had done in their eyes, awful, awful things. And she's touching Jesus, this rabbi. She's anointing him, him with, with this perfume. She's wiping his feet with her hair and, and, and her tears. And Jesus says, listen, her sins have been forgiven much and she loves much because of that. You know, what Jesus was saying was that she has received grace in her life. And because she has received such significant grace in her life, she then expresses that back to God and to others. You see, the woman recognized that Jesus' love was powerful and that he could offer her no one else could, something that no one else could, and that was grace. And by engaging Jesus' love. The woman, though she was riddled by sin, she got to leave in peace. In fact, Jesus actually looked at her and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then at the very last sentence of that, right before chapter 8 in Luke, he says, it is your faith that saved you. So you see, this woman believed Jesus. She believed in him, in his words, in his message. And she received forgiveness of sin. She received grace in her life. Jesus lived in both grace and truth. In fact, the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus was fully filled both with grace and truth. In fact, he blended the two together perfectly. He offered complete forgiveness to a woman who was just muddled by sin because of his relationship with his heavenly father, which empowered him to look past her badness to the image of God that is imprinted on her heart. Though he didn't condone her sin, because certainly he didn't do that, he forgave it. Jesus explained in his story how she was a changed woman because of the incredible amount of love she experienced by the forgiveness she received. You see, Jesus lived perfectly in grace and in truth, and he knows exactly what we need at the perfect time. Sometimes we need grace, sometimes we need truth, sometimes we need the two blended together. But for us, living in grace and truth means learning to reconcile the good and bad in us and others correctly. 
And when we engage God and experience His love, we receive His grace. Then we can learn how to reconcile the good and bad in us and others. But when we fail to reconcile the good and bad in us and others, there are consequences. And they manifest in some specific ways. And as I share uh, these ways, uh, which we're going to call symptoms because they really are symptoms of failure to reconcile good and bad in us and others, when we look at these symptoms, I just want you to take an inventory of your life, just look around your life and say, do I have any of these in my life right now? And then just simply ask this one question, why? Why? Here are the symptoms of failure to accept good and bad. Number one, perfectionism, idealism inability to tolerate badness, inability to tolerate weakness, inability to tolerate negative feelings, moodiness, self-image problems, anxiety, eating and substance problems, narcissism, guilt, sexual addiction, broken relationships, excessive rage, all bad me, which means that we, we think we're all bad. There's nothing good in us. Nobody could ever love us, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then the opposite, all good me. Like, I got this, right? I don't need you. My life is on fire. It is incredible, right? And, and we think we're better than everybody else. So you see, we, we, we have experienced or are experiencing some of these symptoms I just listed. Why? Well, the answer is because you and I struggle with sin, which distorts the image of God in our lives. Therefore, we must learn how to engage God's love and receive His grace so that we can accept the good and bad in us and others. Now, I want to give you three keys, three actions that if we will take these, will help unlock the, the, the door to receiving life and fullness as we learn how to reconcile the good and bad in us and others. But remember what I said at the beginning. These three things, they're, they're three things that are significant, and they are significantly hard. And they will be hard for us. So one of them will be harder for us than others. Um, so growth takes work. Significant growth takes significant work. You see, there are areas in our life where, you know what, we just need, you know, when we go through these, we're going to go, oh, I can do that right now. Okay, boom, we do that. But there are some other things that actually maybe we need to go to counseling for. Okay, because growth takes work, significant growth takes significant work, and, and there's nothing wrong with digging deep to understanding how to resolve good and bad in our lives. So here's the first key. Number one, confess. We must confess to God and others. James, Jesus' brother, actually said this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How many of you need healing in this room tonight? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? The answer is we all do at one point or another, and a lot of times our healing comes from our emotions being released of stress. Because, you know, just so you know, stress actually hurts your body. It releases all kinds of chemicals that, that cause your muscles to hurt, and it, there's a lot of research. You can look it up, Google it. But just so you know, it's real. But when we confess, it brings life to us. But why? Why do we have to confess to other people? I mean, you know, we hear all the time, especially if you um, have been a, what we call a Protestant, um, that is somebody who's not a Catholic um, but believes in Jesus, okay? Um, and and both, both are fine. Um, but if you've, you're a Protestant, you've heard that you don't need a priest to confess your sins. You just confess them to God. You just Right, you know, just go confess your sins to God. You don't need to talk to anybody else. But yet James says that, listen, 
you actually do need to confess to God, and absolutely that's true. God hears you. God forgives you um, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You, you have that. So why do we need to tell somebody else? And the answer is because when we confess our sins to others, we feel and we experience tangible forgiveness and acceptance from others, which can only happen as we share God's grace together. So when we confess our sins to each other, to people that we trust, um, when we confess our sins to each other, we actually receive and experience God's acceptance together. It's incredible. But listen, I want to give you a key. Okay, a couple weeks ago I said uh, about connecting with others and building relationships. You don't want to just walk out into the gathering area and be like, hey, you know, my life's awful. Would you be my friend? You know, you don't, you don't, you don't want to do that here either. Like you don't want to go out and be like, hi, I'm Brad. I'm a really bad guy. Um, let me tell you all the awful things I've done in my life. Okay, like, no, don't do that. Find, find somebody who's significant in your life, somebody you can trust, somebody you can share your life with. Okay, and connect with them, confess your sins to them, because God works through others to heal us and help us. And when we confess, what was in the dark comes into the light, and through others we can see more clearly the next steps we need to take to overcome sin. Confession is key. Number two, forgive. Forgive. Now, we won't spend too much time here because Pastor Chris did such an incredible job of explaining forgiveness uh, in week one of this series. But when we experience God's grace, we must offer it because it brings freedom to us. You see, it starts with us. We must forgive ourselves of anything we hold over our own heads. Only when we love ourselves fully can we then love others effectively. Only when we accept ourselves fully can we accept others effectively. And so we have to forgive ourselves because forgiveness starts with us and then it moves to others. It's like I talked about two weeks ago that we have this, this vertical relationship with God that, that we get right first that then overflows into the, all of our horizontal relationships with each other. You know, Pastor Chris often says that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die, right? But the other person has no clue that we are even harboring unforgiveness in our hearts, so we need to let it go and forgive that person or forgive ourselves. You see, one thing that Jesus knows is Jesus told us that we need to forgive others, and the reason is because Jesus knows that forgiveness rots our bones. Unforgiveness rots our bones. So when we harbor unforgiveness, it turns to bitterness, and then bitterness, just, it just ruins our lives. And Jesus doesn't want that. He wants us to experience full life. So only when we engage God in a grace-giving relationship can we receive His forgiveness and then offer it to others. And then the third key is this, to integrate negative emotions. Integrate negative emotions. Now, I want to talk about the word integrate because it seems like it could be uh, a significant word, but all it really means is this. It, integrate means to combine. So we have good emotions and we have bad emotions. And, and oftentimes, <laughs> unfortunately, in our relationships with others, people know us by one or the other. And so what we have to do is we have to integrate that and become a whole person. That's the whole goal here because a lot of times we'll live over here in the negative and people will only know us as a negative person and we hate that about ourselves. And so we have to integrate these negative emotions. So the first thing we have to understand is we can't conceal negative emotions. Don't conceal negative emotions. Express them in appropriate ways to appropriate people. Negative feelings are valid and they must be dealt with so they don't cause problems. 
The three most common negative emotions are anger, sadness, and fear. Anger tells us something's wrong or we're in danger of losing something. Sadness signals hurt and loss. And in this life, we lose things all the time and we get hurt. But when we don't deal with sadness effectively or appropriately, we harden our hearts and we lose the ability to share grace with others and with God. And our relationships just begin to fizzle out. We become empty shells, unable to connect with others and God authentically. Fear signals danger. We must be aware of our fears, whether they're rational or not. Fear is the root of anxiety, and if we're unaware that we're fearful, we'll never experience freedom. We have to be aware of our emotions. We have to be aware of what's driving this action or, or this sense of, of feeling inside of our hearts. And only in the context of our relationship with God can we deal with fear properly. In fact, the Apostle John said this, and this is just so incredible. Look at this from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what he said. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. You see, our relationship with God is based on this incredible love for us. And in that incredible love of God, it casts out all fear. We don't need to worry. That's why Jesus said, stop worrying about the things that you need. I've got your back. Stop being afraid that you will not have enough. I own cattle on a thousand hills and I own the hills. So just quit. Don't live in fear because our God is incredible. And only when we live in his perfect love can we experience that and pass it on to others. Only can we love other people perfectly by engaging God's perfect love. So living in grace and truth means engaging God in a grace-giving relationship. Remember, we reconcile the good and bad in us and others only by engaging the grace-giving relationship with God. There's no other way to reconcile or resolve good and bad in us and others outside of a relationship with God. Listen, you can try it. Be my guest. There are lots of, there are lots of uh, unchristian psychology out there that will help you get so far, but you will not get all the way without a grace-giving relationship with God. I'm just letting you know. You will, you will hit a wall at some point. But when we engage that grace-giving relationship, His grace is released in us because we experience His perfect love, which is the foundation of our relationship with God. And God's perfect love, in God's perfect love, He will never hurt us. He only has our good. In fact, He will use the bad things in our life, the Apostle Paul said, for our good, if we'll let Him. He wants us to become mature followers of Jesus. And how we reconcile good and bad in us, us and others is the key to maturity. It really is. Because it's the hardest step, aside from what we're going to talk about next week, which I think is probably the, the ultimate hardest step. But this is right underneath it. We, we have to learn how to deal with the good and the bad in us and others. And when we experience grace, we can offer the grace. You see, God wants us to be grace agents on the earth. God wants us to partner with him in his redemptive mission on the earth, earth by passing out his grace, by, by 
receiving it from him and letting it overflow into all of our other relationships. So to be a grace agent together, let's live out this commitment, which says this, I will live in grace and truth by confessing my sins, forgiving myself and others, and dealing effectively with my emotions this week. Okay, those are three steps, and each one of them can be hard in its own way. But I want to encourage you to dig in and not let the enemy have a foothold here. Dig in, because living in grace and truth empowers us to reconcile the good and bad in us and others, just as Jesus did. And we must engage God in a grace-giving relationship and share that grace with everyone around us. Because remember, we want our walk to be a witness to God's work in our lives. So let's go out of here and live in grace and truth together today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. Father, I pray that your spirit right now would just meet us in this moment. And God, if there are any in here who for the very first time are hearing today that there is a God who loves them, that there is a God who has created this incredible earth and put us here in this moment, in this time, right now, so that we can know you and experience you. God, would you just open the doors to that person right now? Father, would you meet them where they are, God? And I pray that as we, as we move throughout the rest of this service, that you will stir in their hearts. And God, we know that Jesus said the, the way that we receive you into our life is we believe in you. We put our faith in you. And so God, today we put our faith in you. We believe you. We trust you. We believe you lived a perfect life and you died on the cross for us and you were raised back to life that we might have a new life in you. We believe that now and we receive it and we confess our sin and our need for you. And God, for those who have already done that and made that commitment, God, I pray that you will help us take this step to learn how to reconcile the good and bad in us and others, that we will learn how to engage a grace-giving relationship with you that overflows into all of our other relationships so that our walk will be a witness to the work, to your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.